0: Hey everybody, I'm Jen Garrett, internationally recognized branding consultant and best-selling author of the books, Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. By having a relentless mentality, I've pushed boundaries and gotten into rooms with pro athletes and power players, built a successful business, and moved the ball in male-dominated industries. Now, I'm using my same of the ball methodology to help thousands of people dominate their game when it comes to their brands and creating opportunities. This podcast is all about uncovering strategies of the world's best athletes and business leaders to help you get to that next level. Join me in conversations that will elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Thanks for joining today. First, if you haven't already done so, be sure that you follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed listening to these shows, please share the podcast with some friends, family, colleagues, and coworkers too. You all know that this podcast season, I'm on a mission to not just help you move the ball, but also to dominate in whatever field you are in. Yep, we are looking to dominate the game. To do that, I'm bringing guests on who can share their perspectives and give you tips to differentiate, separate, and elevate. For today's show, former NBA player Eddie Gill joins me where we talk about his experiences being a pro athlete, the business side of the NBA, and other professional basketball leagues, being a family man while playing pro ball, his transition from basketball to other career endeavors, and how he has been able to be successful in what he is doing beyond the hardwood. Have a listen. Eddie, it's great to have you on the show and inside the huddle with us today. How are you?
1: I'm great, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. Great platform that you have here and just an honor to be a part
0: of it. Well, I'm excited to have you with us today. As you know, majority of the professional athletes that have been on the show have been football players. And I always like having other pros on, sharing their perspectives. There are, of course, some similarities just from being in the business of being a pro athlete. But there's also different perspectives as well. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And before we get into everything, the real question for you is, are you ready to move the ball?
1: Absolutely.
0: We just wrapped up my 2023 Path to the Draft series with members of the NFL Draft class. And one of the questions I ask all of those guys is how they got into football. Now, I'm going to ask you a similar question about basketball. You're from New Jersey. How old were you when you first picked up a basketball?
1: This goes way back. My father put a basketball in my hands at a very early age, and I just fell in love with the game. I have to say probably, I don't know, four or five years old, probably, when I first was kind of introduced to it, and just fell in love with it, and it was something that was to some degree therapeutic as I went on throughout my life. And even to this day, it feels good to just be out on the floor. I'm, I'm not nowhere near what I used to do with it, but it's definitely great to have. It's something that I've done for a very long time now.
0: And what about the sport made you fall in love with it?
1: Honestly, I love the competition of it. I love the unpredictability of it to some degree. The competition it is just huge. Getting from one play to the next, I think, is huge for me as well. Getting through the adverse moments, learning how to win, learning how to lose. I think there's tremendous life lessons in the game itself. And probably a lot of different team sports and individual sports for that matter. But I think there are a ton of life lessons there. And it's just been something that I've always loved to do.
0: And you mentioned the unpredictability of the sport. I always share on this show how I've been a student of the game of football my entire life and fell in love with football at four years old. A lot of people don't know that I also have been a student of basketball for a long, long time as well. And both football and basketball, I mean, the unpredictability of those sports are things that I just really enjoyed as a kid. And the thing people always ask me, like, John, why are you so into football? It's watching teams as a kid come back in that fourth quarter from the... These big deficits and not just football, but basketball as well, and come back and win the game. You just never know. And you and I have spoken before. I mean, we talked about March Madness since the tournament has recently ended. And I mean, just the unpredictability of sports, it makes it exciting and it makes it fun.
1: There's no question about it. And there's some common ground that a lot of people can get on to some degree when you're able to watch from an entertainment value standpoint and then being a participant, understanding that you can't take any moment for granted just because so and so has predicted you as the favorite that doesn't mean that you're entitled to that win. You got to go out there and do certain things to actually go and accomplish that victory. So getting through those moments, and you reference late game situations where people, teams come back and able to come away with a win after being down such a significant deficit. You have to play it all the way out, literally, until there's zeros on the board. The whole cliche goes, and it's tried and true.
0: For sure. And I like that you talk about playing the game until there's zeros on the board. My listeners know, and you also know that I wrote my first book called Move the Ball, which was really what kicked this whole move the ball movement off. But in that book, there's a chapter called Play the Full 60, talking about in the context of football and how teams have to show up and play every single moment until that game clock hit zero. And that's true in any sport, but that's also true in life as well. It's about continuing to play the game. Now, you don't have the same structure along the lines of having you know 60 minutes or four quarters or two 20 minute halves. But it's really about continuing to play until you've achieved the objective, because it is about putting yourself out there every single moment, every single day. And those that do that are the ones who do move the ball and dominate the game, as I like to say. As you were a kid, you loved basketball. What team were you following growing up? And who did you want to be like? Who were the players that inspired you?
1: Yeah, so as I was growing up, my middle school to high school years, it was the 90s. I was born in 78, somewhat of an 80s baby. You know, as I really started to hone in on my own skill set and development as a basketball player, loving the game. Think about the mid-90s, Your first thing you think about is Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. So like many kids at that time, I pretty much just hung on every single thing that he did and that team. You know, even born in New Jersey and then moved to Denver in grade school, yet that was team that I followed closely. He clearly was a player that I followed closely and and was to some degree my hero in in the game of basketball. So I know that's an easy one (laughs) in terms of someone to look up to from a basketball player. I would say in my position, at the point guard position, people that I I looked at and, and really thought was really good players, obviously Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, guys like that at the point guard position.
0: All greats for sure. And when you look at the sport of basketball, what are some of the lessons that you've taken away from the game that have helped you to be successful on and off the court and beyond the hardwood?
1: I would say the adversity that comes with it. A lot of times people look at professional athletes and think it's, you know, I was so lucky to get there and things like that. You know, I was I took a lot of preparation, a lot of hard work and, a, and a countless hours in the gym to get there. And that's one of the things that, I think it really transcends life in in terms of the work that's put into any respective industry. If you want to be great at something, it doesn't just happen for you. You got to put some time into it and there's going to be some pain associated with it. That's one of the things that I kind of have lived by, right? It's just you know, if you want to be great at it or you want to be good at it, really be compete at the highest level, it's going to hurt sometimes. And that's what the game kind of taught me. Uh, It also taught me how to win, how to lose, how to collaborate with other team members, whether you like them personally or not. Just getting on the same page to accomplish a common goal is something that, again, transcends not just professional sports, but, you know, each and every industry out there, especially if you're looking at things in a collaborative manner.
0: Something you made me think about too is when we're off the field in whatever profession it is that we're in, it's not just about putting in the work, meaning I'm going to show up and I'm going to grind and grind and grind. It's about what is it that you're doing with that time to be effective, but also are you doing the things to be more skilled in your field? Are you doing things to increase your competencies, to become more of the expert in whatever space it is that you're in? Because I think about a lot of times people will reach out to me wanting to work together and they're like, well, Jen, you're the expert in this thing. Well, yeah, I put a lot of time to understand the spaces that I play in and to be that elite person that can bring added value to my clients. And so it's really about making sure that you're carving out time to also increase your competencies in that field. It's not just about going to work, showing up, doing a bunch of tasks and that's it.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You think about the evolution of the game of basketball, you know, way back when you had teams that didn't score at a high rate or they're really centric on the post-play. And now you're looking at a game where the numbers are high, three-point shot is as prevalent as it's ever been in terms of the evolution in that space. And then also different business industries. Those are ever-evolving. You're looking at technology, what it's been able to do for, to just about every business out there, the use of it. And to your point about making sure you're educated and have a fundamental understanding of some of the different evolutions, it's super important if you want to have any personal growth business growth and and definitely financial growth.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And one of the things that I'm very intent on this year is making sure that I'm doing more to help others to move the ball and make things happen, especially with this show. I mean, I certainly get to impact people when I work with them one-on-one, but we have this podcast. And so I want to make sure I'm giving people actionable tips to be able to keep things moving. And one of the things that I talk about in my latest book called Dominate the Game, How Life Changes When You Show Up is, there's a chapter called Manage the Game Clock, which is all about managing the 1,440 minutes that we have each day. And so I wanna ask you, like, what are things that you do to manage your game clock on a daily basis to help you be more productive and be successful?
1: Yeah, I think one of those things is utilizing your network in an appropriate way and being able to help facilitate whether it's personal relationships, business relationships, and more often than not, if you do right by people, business things will just take care of themselves. And I think that's somewhat of the easier part. Sometimes we as people, regardless of the industry, we're chasing down transactions and not doing right by people and wondering why it's not working out for us from a business perspective. We just trying to chase down transactions. So for my personal day-to-day is always trying to manage the relationships that I have in an appropriate way, nurture those relationships. And staying diligent with my process, whether it's getting up early, if I'm working out for my own personal health and sustainability from that perspective. And then from a business standpoint, making sure I'm prepared for the day, whatever that day may be, whatever meetings may be coming my way. Just making sure the preparation is always there and not necessarily trying to figure out something at the last minute, because oftentimes that's not going to go well for us. So I think just staying diligent in your process and then also understanding that it may not be as structured as you like. And being able to adapt and maneuver based on other people's, whether it's schedules, whether it's they bring up something different in a meeting that you weren't anticipating, just also being able to have the ability to maneuver and pivot when necessary.
0: And that's something that sports teaches us as well. You're always pivoting. You're always adjusting and adapting depending on what's going on, whether you're in a game or you're just practicing. There's that you're taught that you have to continually evolve and adjust on the fly. It's not just about being rigid and being like, well, this is my plan. So this is what I have to do. No, you have to tailor that. You tweak it. You adjust it as things happen throughout the day to day.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: And something else that I really like that you mentioned is about your network and cultivating that network and not being focused on the transactions and really being focused on nurturing the relationships. It comes to connecting with people as human beings and remembering that piece. Business will come later on when there's a time and a place for that, but that's not what you should always be focused on. It's really about nurturing the relationships. I stay in touch with a lot of my clients. I love it when clients, I might not have heard from in a little bit, come back and say, Hey, Jen, I got this really great job. I just wanted to tell you about it. Like that makes me feel good, because I know that I help them to continue to advance in their career. And they value our relationship so much that they want to share this new thing, this new job with me. And so I mean, I think that that's something that I really enjoy is connecting with people. Some people that I, I meet, they never become clients, but they become great friends. It's all about just nurturing relationships. And when you do that, Business will come if it's meant to happen, but we shouldn't be focused on just the business or the transaction piece.
1: That's it, Adam Head. I think there's several times in my own personal business, you know, I'll have a a quote unquote client, they'll call me and we won't speak one word of business, right? It's more about day-to-day things. If there's other issues going on in their lives or other ways that we can be supportive of each other, we have those long extended conversations and not necessarily at all any business conversation, which... To your point, that's when you really know that you have a true relationship where there's some real care, some real empathy, some real understanding of one's life and other things that they may be going through and where they can be supportive for me or I can be supportive to them. I think it's super important to have those relationships in your life even outside of your family.
0: Right, and we know that people do business with people they know, like, and trust. So it's really important to just cultivate relationships. And like I said, if there's a deal to be done, then it'll happen. If there might not be a deal, but that's not what you should focus on. It's really about just treating people as human beings and the results will come when you do that. So I want to talk with you about your basketball journey. So from high school to college, you went to Oberlin High School, and then you started your basketball career uh, at a JC in Utah. How was that transition to a junior college, and what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, again, you talk about evolution and just being able to persevere through different times. It was definitely one of those times for me. I was in a small town in Utah, which is something I'm not accustomed to at all. I was born in New Jersey, inside you know, basically in the city, and then moved to Denver, another big city, and spent some time there growing up through high school. I'd go back to New Jersey during the summertime and spend with my grandparents, but always in a city environment. And then going to a smaller town in Utah, literally just in the middle of the mountains, was a huge adjustment for me. But loved the game. Our coaching staff was great. I had good teammates and and had a lot of success there on the court. So. It was a really good experience for me. It was not only just the basketball, but also just being able to see different things and understanding that there's a whole world out there that's outside of the one that you've grown up in really prepared me for life in general and set me on a path in my basketball career because I did, in fact, go to a variety of different places, play basketball literally all over the world in in different environments. It set the table for me to be able to get to those environments, adjust and still find some success in those moments.
0: And as you were playing at the community college level how is that different than playing in high school
1: the competition takes a jump for sure you have a lot of individuals there that are really obviously trying to get to the next level from a division one standpoint or division two or wherever they're trying to go professionally but uh, one thing that I had to understand early on is there are millions and millions of me out there in terms of basketball players who want to get to division one basketball so again, talk about a life lesson of of competition, whatever the industry or whatever the job or whatever it may be, I tell my kids today, whatever your industry, whatever you want to be, you're not the only one who wants to do it. So understand that you got to be able to go out there and compete as hard as you can and do something different to set yourself apart to where those people that are employing those positions, they select you over countless others. So that's what junior college basketball definitely really set my mind frame for.
0: And you mentioned being able, what you share with your kids about how you have to set yourself apart from your competition. Well, something I like to say is moving the ball is all about differentiation and separation. Differentiation in terms of what is the added value that you bring to the table that is different and unique from everybody else. And when you can figure that out and you can be known as somebody who does bring something different to the table, that's when you really see more opportunities come your way because you bring something else that they can't get amongst all the other competition that is out there. And so, I mean, for me, Me in my career, as you know, Eddie, I'm kind of crazy and went to school for a long time. I worked while going to school, but seven degrees. And people used to always ask like, well, did you not know what you wanted to do when you grew up? Is that why you kept going back to school? And the answer to that was no, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. My goal was to get into the Fortune 500 C-suite. And I kept going to school for well. For one, I had employers that would pay for school. So I thought, okay, why not leverage that benefit? But second, by having all of these different degrees and having this different experience, it allowed me to bring a different perspective to any table. And I was always known for being able to ask questions and bring other recommendations or highlight issues that other people weren't thinking about because they didn't have that same background. And so that's how I was able to differentiate myself and really continue to bring more value. So let's talk about your transition from junior college to Weber State. So you ended up playing for two seasons with the Weber State Wildcats. What was that like, that evolution from JUCO to a four-year university?
1: Yeah, again, just another big jump in competition and skill sets in terms of the players that I played against there. And then also, you know, teams that I played against that weren't necessarily in our conference. We played in the Big Sky Conference at the time. And it's just all just another level of play, but understanding Once again, I'm not the only one who wants that position. It being a mid-major school, sometimes that's looked at as less than or not as good as some of the power five schools and that kind of thing. And I always took that a little bit personally. And always wanted to prove that I belonged not only at, on a Division One level, but I could also go and play with the big boys to some degree. So we had a fair amount of success there in my two years there. And by the time I got there, maybe even my sophomore year, where I really started seeing professional basketball as a, as a real opportunity and not just a dream as a kid, I really just embraced it and dove into the hard part of basketball and preparation, even more so at, at that time. But it was a great experience. Ogden, Utah it was, it was great to me. Weber State University was great to me, and and I'm forever grateful for the opportunities that it was given.
0: And you ended up playing in the 1999 Big Sky Conference Men's Basketball Tournament. You were named the MVP. What was that like for you? That experience?
1: It was kind of wild how it happened. Our regular season MVP was a teammate of mine, Harold Arsenal. He had gotten hurt, actually, kind of assumed a more influential role for our team, if you could say. He missed one of the games, and our team kind of leaned on me to do a little bit more, and. It was was just a great experience. And being in the big sky, they only take the conference tournament winner. As you know, we've talked about the NCAA tournament, what it takes to get there for some of those mid-majors or smaller conferences. They only take the conference tournament that's not necessarily as important what you did in the regular season, which we did win our regular season conference championship as well. But had we lost in the tournament, we wouldn't have got a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. So a lot riding on that. Just fortunate. My teammates and our coaching staff did a great job throughout that time and we were able to come out of the tournament.
0: So you mentioned earlier on the show the unpredictability of sports and we've talked about March madness before and how there's always craziness in the tournament and you guys were the 14th seed going into the tournament. You played in the round of 64 game, third seeded North Carolina. You guys ended up beating North Carolina 76 to 74. And that just goes back to, it's all about the team that shows up and shows out and plays till the game clock hit zero. And you guys came out on top. What was that like for you beating UNC?
1: You referenced what team or players that I look at growing up. And that team was obviously Chicago Bulls. and That player was Michael Jordan. He's also a North Carolina alum. I grew up, enjoying watching North Carolina basketball, even though he had already gone and you know, I knew where he went to school. So I, I became a childhood fan of the Tar Heels. So it was like my favorite team going all the way through high school. And even once I got to college, I still was a fan of the Tar Heels. So going into that game, it was just a real moment for me looking at warmups. I can remember looking down at the other end of the floor, seeing that Carolina blue but also at the forefront of my mind, understanding that we had a real opportunity to beat them. We probably the only 15 people in the country who thought we should we would win. <laughs> were in our locker room and we took full control of that game. And you referenced it, you know, it as a two point victory. But a large part of that game, we we're up seven or eight points the entire game. So we had full control of it, proved that we belong. It was obviously a great win. And for me, probably outside of watching my kids play, my greatest basketball memory.
0: We talk about how crazy the tournament can be. And you and I have talked separately about just this past March Madness tournament as well. I mean, especially this year with all the number one seeds getting knocked out before the Elite Eight. And I mean, this is the, for those that don't know, this was the first year in NCAA history. The seeding started in 1979, and this is the first year that there have been no number one seeds going into the Elite Eight. So that was pretty crazy to see. And then also going to the Final Four, there were three first time teams there and and another fun fact, the only team who had been in the Final Four before this year was UConn. And since we were talking about your NCAA tournament experience that year, in 1999, UConn was actually the winner of the NCAA tournament that year was their first win, their first title game, and their first Final Four. So it's just an interesting basketball, so unpredictable, especially throughout the tournament. And I'm sure just being able to beat UNC in the tournament was such an incredible Feeling, And you mentioned jokingly that there might have been only 15 people that thought they could have beaten that team. But I mean, really, it's all about what you believe. Right. And if you have to have that confidence that you can go out there and show up and do what you set out to do, because if you don't believe in yourself, then the likelihood of you achieving that goal is a lot less.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Our, our mind is a powerful thing. It maybe the most powerful thing that we possess and it can really motivate us, uplift us or deter us and really have our own failures before we even go out there and try to achieve a goal. And that's, for me personally, it's something that I've always tried to remain incredibly self-confident no matter what I'm trying to accomplish, understanding that it's going to be hard. I'm happy with it being hard. I got no problem with that. But understanding when I come on the back end of it, I'll have positive results.
0: And let's talk about your pro career. I mean, you've done a lot of great things. You played in the NBA, played in the G League, played overseas. I'm sure a lot of great memories across the board during your time as a pro basketball player. When you look back at your time as a professional basketball player, what were some of the things that, one, you learned about yourself, and two, that you really enjoyed about your entire career?
1: I think maybe one of the first things I had to realize when you reference professional, that means business Oftentimes, the business of basketball may take over as opposed to what's happening actually on the floor, and just being able to go out there and play the game. So that was one of the first things that I took from it, being able to understand that and get through some of those moments and, you know, good, bad or indifferent. I think that's something for young players out there to really understand. At the end of it all, it's a business, even though we're out there playing a childhood game. So that was important for me. A really important takeaway. And again, all of these life lessons that we've discussed have really bode well for me in my transition. But a lot of experiences, you reference all the different places that I played, and the culture that I was around, especially when you're thinking about going overseas and to different places. I take a lot from those different experiences and then been able to apply those to what I do here now.
0: And you talk about the business of professional basketball. I mean, there are some differences between the NBA and between leagues that are overseas. What are some of those things that are different playing here in the U.S., in the NBA or the IBL or the ABA versus playing abroad?
1: Contractual agreements, for starters, is one of the things that early on, a couple of my first experiences going over internationally, I think they've improved here of late. But there was a time where going to play international basketball in Europe and sometimes sign a contract for X amount of dollars. And this, this never happened to me, but I know several, several stories of, of guys that it happened to where you sign it for a play for whatever contract that you kind of signed for. And A, payments are, are late sometimes, you know, one, two weeks or maybe a month or two or not paid at all. And now there's a lawsuit and there's just all these different things that you have to go through from a contractual business standpoint that isn't so pretty, right? It's not, it's not fun to deal with, I think it has improved like I said FIBA has definitely made things more professional but then the cultural aspect was always a big positive being able to see other cultures and how they live in, in their day-to-day environment.
0: What was your favorite overseas team to play for?
1: I played in Italy two different times for short stints so that was really a good time really enjoyed that and then my last year that I played internationally was in Australia my entire family went to me there so that was fun other times they weren't with me so obviously there's some challenges with that but. The last time was in Australia and that made it all the better.
0: And you mentioned bringing your family. It was something that a lot of people don't always think about is the life of being a pro athlete. There's some exciting things about it for sure, but there's also a lot of sacrifices and challenges that come along with signing up for that profession. And a part of that is with your family. And so how was it like for you having to juggle? You have two children just trying to navigate your basketball career as well as managing a family and being there for your kids.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly challenging. Two younger kids at the time, and they're both they're both grown now, 22 and 20. But you think back to me when I started in 2000, there's a lot of basketball to be played in the 12-year career and primarily in their adolescent years and growing up. But there's definitely some challenges. There's a lot of things that you miss, a lot of milestones that you miss, maybe birthdays and things of that nature. Although they did visit each place that I went, but in terms of like actually living there, Australia was the only place where they went and and actually lived there the entire time. So I always say also sacrifice has some sort of negative connotation to it. It's semantics to some degree. But along those same lines, I say you you do what you have to do to get what you want. In some of those cases, I had to go overseas in order to provide a living for myself and my family. So there's certain things that must be done and some of that involves being away from the family.
0: And so when you look back on your time playing professional basketball, what were some of your biggest takeaways or memories?
1: Professionally, I would say definitely the being able to play in the playoffs with Indiana Pacers, two separate occasions. Those were great experiences. The goal at team sports is to go out there and, and get a championship, right? And play at the highest level and raise that trophy at the end of the year. And that was the closest that I got to that. I was fortunate enough to win a championship at that time with the D League. with the Colorado 14ers won a couple championships overseas. Anytime you win at the highest level, it's always going to stand out for me anyway. And I was able to have some of those experiences.
0: You mentioned how you've played for a number of different teams in different locations and you got to do what you got to do to provide for your family. But mentally, like, how is it having to always pick up and go to a new location to be able to provide and have that profession?
1: It's a challenge, I can say. that. I think my personality and demeanor helps me in that regard. And that I would say it's kind of even keeled but also focused on a task at hand and, you know, try not to get too high and too low with some of the things that happened during the course of my career. Some of that I attribute to, I lost my father at an early age. He was about 11 years old. And that obviously had me sad, angry, upset. This is unfair. Why this that another? But uh, also I had people around me, my mother being the one first and foremost, making me understand, Hey, there's still a next step for you. There's still other things that you have to get to achieve. There's a better way for you. I've never been one to react too harshly when someone tells me no or being cut or I'm more in tune and chasing down yeses because I know those are out there and I know that my value is high. And once given an opportunity, I was able to show that.
0: And I'm sure that having that approach also has boded well for you when it comes to what you're doing now professionally too. I mean, in the financial services space, you've got a lot of people that are going to tell you no. Right, And so you got to deal with the no's, you deal with the rejection, you keep on moving and you keep on looking for the yeses. So let's transition to what you're doing now. So the time has come, you've decided to hang it up. It's time to retire from being a professional basketball player. Walk us through that transition and what you did.
1: Well, throughout my collegiate and professional career playing basketball, one of the things that I developed a passion for was working with kids. We would always participate in these these youth engagements, whether it's camps, clinics, going into schools, working with kids from a basketball perspective. I have my own kids, as I mentioned. I really enjoyed that. So when I very first retired, I started a basketball skill development business. I was able to get that off the ground and, and have some success there. But also in the back of my mind, I always thought about the financial services industry, in which I thought about while I was playing have my own financial successes and failures, watch my teammates have their own successes and failures. And then all the while in the media and in the public consumption, it's a lot of criticism about professional athletes and their mismanagement of their funds. So I always wanted to kind of have a a different approach to that in terms of minimizing some of those experiences for, for people out there. And then also highlighting the good work that is being done, because there has been a lot of guys out there who've done great for themselves, their families, and their community. So I had that in my mind. So fast forward to when I start that business, I had an individual who his son was in my program, and he himself was in the financial services industry. So I peppered him with a million questions about it. Before you know it, I'm in my mid-30s, sitting for my Series 7, Series 66, and and life and health exams, and was able to get those done and behind me (laughs) after not studying for anything for about, I don't know, 12 years. Was quite the task and quite the challenge, but I was able to get that done. And here we are now, about nine years later into the business.
0: And as you were early on into this business, what were some of the things that you found challenging, just trying to get a new business up and running?
1: Yeah, one of the first and the biggest challenges was having a different identity, right? For 20 years or so, I had the identity of a basketball player, and that's what people know me for. They just knew I played good ball. I played for X team. I did whatever, beat Carolina, got to the NBA made it to NBA undrafted with a car about a seven-year career there, 12 years total professionally. It was just basketball, basketball, basketball for a long time, kind of reshaping my identity as an individual. And to your point about moving the ball, that's part of that process is being able to reshape and mold yourself, just make that transition and also having other people outside of you understand who you are and, and what you do now. So that was probably the biggest challenge. I think I've climbed that hill and I'm on the other side of it now. People understand that they still understand that basketball is a big part of my life and it's kind of gotten me to the place that I'm at but it's, it's not who I am and what I do
0: I like that and I think more and more athletes now as they're coming into professional football or basketball or whatever sport it is they're understanding that the sport is a part of their journey but it doesn't define them either so it's really they know that okay I'm gonna be here for a certain amount of time but they're also thinking a little bit more forward about well what else am I going to do beyond the sport? Because this is not going to be as long of a time. I'm not sure how long it will be, but it's not going to be my entire career. So I need to think about other things and start positioning myself for those things so that when that time does come to step off the court or to hang up the cleats, that I'm more prepared for that next step in my journey.
1: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think the younger generation has done a, a better job of that. I also think that there's been some guys who have had longer careers, They've been able to set the example and understand that, hey, there's a whole business world out there that's available to them while they are professional athletes. right? So just leveraging their celebrity in an appropriate way, not abusing relationships, but also being able to form relationships to when that ball stops bouncing or they hang up the cleats or whatever the case may be there's far more opportunity out there for them than just their respective professional sport.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think with NIL, I mean, there's a debate on whether or not NIL is a good thing or not. But I think one of the good positives out of it is it gets players thinking about myself, my brand as a business. And how do I continue to leverage that throughout my entire career?
1: Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. Understanding that there's opportunity out there and critics may say They should just be worried about their respective sport and not this quote-unquote brand and that kind of thing but the fact of the matter is whatever sport that they're playing is only going to last but so long Life expectancy is growing and what are they doing with the remaining 65 70 years of their life
0: so eddie what i want to do now is i want to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to do some fun questions we'll be right back hey have you moved the ball in your own life today if you're working towards your dream job a new personal record or a bigger salary, you need a plan to consistently make progress. That's why I wrote Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. These books are packed with strategy and easy-to-implement tips on gaining clarity of your goals, developing your own personalized playbook for success, pushing your boundaries of comfortability, and really elevating and dominating. Go to www.dominateandmove.com and enter code DOMINATE2023 for a 20% discount on the bundle and all books are signed copies as well. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, we are back. And so, Eddie, what I want to do now is run you through my two-minute drill and have some fun. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, the first question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself?
1: Disciplined, hardworking, although I guess that's two words.
0: It's hyphenated.
1: There you go. I like (laughs) that. Passionate.
0: Great three words. What is one thing that most people don't know about you?
1: I have a whole green tea regimen.
0: Oh, very nice. (laughs) Would you rather be the world champion of your sport or the CEO of a billion dollar company and why?
1: i would say world champion of my sport. I know the work that goes into that. And I also know that if I become, or if I would ever become the world champion of my sport, I'm going to leverage that to give me the opportunity to be a CEO of a billion-dollar company.
0: There you go. I like that because it is really about leveraging your brand and what you've done in your career to your advantage for other business opportunities. And that's something I do a lot of work with younger pro athletes, talking at universities as well. And that's something that I really try to instill in them is make sure even guys that are in the league, it's like, use your status as being in the NFL as an example to create other business opportunities. So I like that answer.
1: No question about it.
0: Next question is, what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I
1: have a good friend. He has a podcast. It's called Follow the Money Podcast. So that's the one I've been listening to here of late.
0: Okay, I will have to check it out. Next question is, if you could have any song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be?
1: I'd have to go through my notorious big catalog and it's going to be one of the, something in his catalog. (laughs)
0: Uh, Next question is what would your next career move be if you were guaranteed to succeed?
1: Well, I'd turn back the the clock and get back into basketball again to be playing.
0: Nice. You have 24 hours and a private plane that will take you anywhere. Where are you going?
1: Africa. I'm not sure where, but I'm going to Africa. It's one of the main places that I haven't been. As we reference my basketball career, I've been to several places already, but that's the one place I have not been.
0: Yet. Okay. Now the bonus question is: M and M's, plain or peanut?
1: Oh wow, plain.
0: So Eddie, as we look to close our show, let people know where are you at on social media. How can they connect with
1: you? I'm on LinkedIn. Just Eddie Gill. See Wise Financial, and Northwestern Mutual firm I'm with. On Instagram at four Eddie Gill, the number four Eddie Gill on Twitter is Eddie underscore Gill, the number four.
0: Perfect. And we will have all of those links in the show notes so people can follow you on your journey and connect with you and hopefully have a chat with you about financial services as well. So Eddie, any last thoughts for our listeners?
1: No, I'm really appreciative of this opportunity. I don't take these moments lightly when I get to share some time with people who have a public forum and a platform in which they're given others an opportunity to tell their stories. So I'd really do appreciate it.
0: Well, I am glad to have you on. And there is one thing that I also wanted to mention on the show. So you also serve as a studio analyst on Fox Sports for the Pacers. What is that like? How did you get into that?
1: Yeah, that's a, that was an interesting story. There was seven years into that now. So seven years ago, I was approached by the Pacers. I hadn't pursued it. I thought about it in the back of my mind. I know some professional athletes end up getting into, into broadcasting immediately after playing. I did not go that route but they approached me about it just based on some of the community engagement and things like that that I still do with the Pacers. The job opened up, they contacted me and said, hey, would I be interested in doing some TV with them? And I had a couple contingencies. One of those is, hey, I got a real job. Can't interfere with that. And then my kids at the time were just getting into their middle school and high school years of playing ball, and I communicated, hey, if my kids have a game, same night the Pacers have a game, I'm going to go to my kids' game. That's part of the reason why I retired and when I retired. They were happy with that arrangement. I had done just enough games that season to make them happy. And and again, they just kind of blessed me with the opportunity to be quite honest. And here we are seven years later of doing that. So I've been incredibly fortunate. They've been good to me and it's been a great situation.
0: Oh, that's great. And you mentioned that you had some conditions around accepting this type of a role. And I think as we get older, we tend to place those kinds of limitations because we value other things besides chasing work, right? When I was in my 20s, I would have done anything and everything legally, of course, to climb the corporate ladder because that was my goal, get in the Fortune 500 C-suite. As I've gotten older, there's restrictions on opportunities that I would do because I value other things. And I think that's something that we all tend to place more emphasis on as we mature in our career.
1: No, absolutely. I think, again, we talk about evolution to some degree, and not only are things around us evolving, but, but we as people are as well, and, and those values and things that are important to you again to evolve.
0: For sure. Well, Eddie, thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been a true pleasure.
1: No, thank you. It's all mine.
0: And thanks to everyone for listening. If you like today's episode, make sure that you share it with someone else who you think would find the show to be of value. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. And also, if you haven't already done so, hit that follow button so that you're always in the know for when future episodes come out. All right. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thanks for listening to Move the Ball, everybody. If you were inspired by this episode, can you do me a favor and let me know? Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And also, share the show with a few friends too. Next, I want you to go to getinsidethehuddle.com and join our email list. This will give you priority access to tips and strategies that will help you get more done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You got that? Okay, until next time.